Today's episode of the Crawford Talks is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from GoToMeeting all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Add to your flash briefing on Alexa or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Crawford Talks. I am Jake Kaplan. I write about the Astros for The Athletic, and I am joined, as always, by my partner in crime, Mike Meltzer. Mike, how are you holding up today? Jake, I'm holding up okay. It's been uh, it's been an interesting week. The, the days are kind of uh, running together a bit, uh, but I, I'm excited to do another episode today. I'm glad you're excited. I am excited too. I like I said in our last episode, this podcast is really the only thing um, that's helping me discern what day it is. Uh, yeah, because we do it Mondays <laughs> and Thursdays, and I know when I'm taping here in front of this uh, microphone that it's one of those two days. So, hope everyone out there who's listening is hanging in there as well and doing okay. Um, we are going to do our best here to provide an escape into the sports world for 30, 40 minutes, however long we tape here. Um, Can I ask you a random question? Because sure. I was reading some, I was reading something last night. Uh, I subscribed to Will Leach's uh, newsletter. He is the former editor of uh, Deadspin. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, one of the things I love when writers do it is when they write about something and then I realize I've been feeling that way the whole time. They just put into words much better than I could. So last night he's reading about how he's watching movies and TV shows. And now we're in this era where like he's watching things happen in these movies and TV shows and he like recoils. So he saw someone cough and he like turns the other way when someone's doing it in a TV show. And I've been having the same damn experience with it because I, I'll, I'll give you the, a weird example, Jake. I'm watching Succession, which you have, which you have convinced me like I got to get through the second season. I am and I'm into it and I'm, I'm watching them. Uh, I'm watching them basically go to like a convenience store and one of the characters like starts, you know, touching different things in the store. I'm like, don't do that. You can't (laughs) be touching these things. (laughs) And I would normally never like all these things that were normal three weeks ago, two and a half weeks ago. Now I'm watching. I'm like, you can't do that. People don't congregate together. What is this? Yeah, I think this is going to change our perspective on a lot of things, Uh, Mm -hmm. maybe subconsciously more than consciously, but. Like, yeah, I mean, washing your hands, hopefully everyone was doing that before, but if they weren't, now they are. And um, (laughs) yeah, just little things like that. And yeah, like even every time I go to the supermarket, I'm like really aware of what everyone else is doing around me and trying to keep a distance. And it's kind of feel like paranoid, but like it's the right thing to do, I think. So yeah, it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how it carries over to our life post pandemic which hopefully is coming very soon but hopefully um you know we will see obviously today as we tape this on thursday march 26th it would have been opening day um so that's kind of sad um a sad reminder but we're going to push on and uh do our best here to talk about what is going on in the baseball world which 
Um, you know, it's really been status quo for a week or 10 days now. Um, at least as we tape this, MLB and the Players Union are still negotiating how they're going to handle a lot of the important issues that have um, that are facing them in the wake of this uh, delayed season, a season that if it happens will definitely be short um, and short-tinned, I should say. And um, I, the biggest issue that that they're talking about is is how to deal with service time. Um, yes. And and you know that that that's an issue that touches every team. But um, you know, given that we are a podcast discussing the Astros, we are going to talk about what it means for the Astros. Indeed, and let me. One thing I want to ask you, Jake, because I know obviously our audience is very intelligent and they know what's going on. But I just want to clear things up to before we get into the weeds a little bit. Can you kind of explain to the audience uh, what exactly service time is? Yeah. So. Service time is basically what determines um, a player's pay um, or where he falls in the pay structure. Uh, players, once you, you don't become a free agent until you hit six years of service in most cases. And um, a, a full year of service is considered 172 days. So any player, for example, Jose Altuve, Carlos Correa, Alex Bregman, George Springer, who, who had a full year last year, um, that could be injured or healthy, uh, gets 172 days. So once you accrue six years of that is when, you know, the season after that or the off season after that is when you become a free agent. So for example, right now, George Springer is at five, um, five years of service and he's only days away from, uh, I think he's six days short of being um, a sixth of reaching that sixth year accruing six years of service and that's so that's why he's going to be a free agent at the end of his next season so right now and ken rosenthal also of the athletic he tweeted in the afternoon on wednesday that the latest proposal the latest mlb proposal includes still having a draft in 2020 but as far as the service time if the season was canceled it includes service time for players players would get the same service time for 2020 as they earned in 2019. So what that means for the Astros is that there is a chance, a chance that George Springer has played his final game in a Nationals uniform. I mean, I I hate to put it in those terms, Jake, but that's basically what that means, right? Yeah, correct. If if there is no season uh, and this proposal that Ken reported is on the table on Wednesday passes, then... Game seven of the last World Series would have been George Springer's last game as an Astro. Now, we're a long way from the season being canceled completely, but um, MLB and the union have to prepare for every possible scenario. And we don't know what's going to happen. No one knows what's going to happen in terms of if there's going to be a season, how long this this, shutdown is going to last. We can't know right now. A lot of things are just not knowable. So um, they have to plan for every contingency, and that's obviously a big one. Um, if there's no season, players would just get the same service that they got the previous year. Um, Springer has right now five years of service and 166 days, which is six days short. Brad Peacock has uh, one fewer day than that, so he's seven days short. Um, and then their other three free agents were on contracts, um, that's Brantley, Reddick, 
and Guriel. So those five would still be free agents even if there's no season under this proposal. Okay, so just to recap, so Springer, Peacock, Brantley, Reddick, and Guriel. I wonder what is the fair thing in this situation because with Springer, I think it's a gray area because I think objectively Springer should have already been a free agent. Now, I mean, I want to watch him play in Houston from a selfish standpoint, but I mean, if you think about the spirit of these things, as Jake has mentioned a few times, like he he's six days short. Yeah. That's not like an accident. It's like, oh, George Springer just happens to be six days short. Right. Like, no, that was planned for back in 2014 for him to be a couple days short. Uh, so with Springer, it's a little bit of a gray area, but Michael Brantley is in Houston on a two-year deal. Looking nationally, the Dodgers trade for Mookie Betts, and if there is no season, the Dodgers would literally get, I mean, unless they re-sign him, they would, they, would, they would not get that extra season of Mookie Betts that they traded for. Not extra season, the season right. that they traded for. And it's, it's hard for me, Jake, to figure out what is the fair, like what is the equitable solution on, on this specific topic? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really know the answer to that. I think it's not an easy answer. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, if you say, if, say, if you didn't do um, this deal where they, they give the players service time, you know, you're really suppressing a lot of salaries and a lot of people's ability to earn money player now obviously we're talking about millionaires here so no one's going to feel too sorry for them right but in terms of baseball like the difference between George Springer being a 31 year old free agent and a 32 year old free agent is huge just like the difference between 30 and 31 is going to be huge um you know so I and Gurriel's like he's what 35 36 already so like mm -hmm. he would be 37 38 so like there's it's a huge difference for for the players who are going into free agency. So I think the fair thing is probably to do what MLB and ML and the union are, are is on the table right now, um, which is to give them the service time. I think if you didn't, then, you know, it would be, it, it would be pretty tough look for, for MLB. Um, well, so th this is one of those things where I think what makes it hard, Jake is uh, unless I'm missing something, it usually, I think in any negotiation, you can create some kind of middle ground, but unless I'm missing something like this, is, this to me is either, this is kind of black and white. Like, Either these guys, the George Springers, the Moogie Betzes, I think the, the Trevor Bowers of the world, like those guys, the Yuli Gurriels, the Michael Brantley's, like, I mean, those guys are in a different category. But like, if you, you either count the seat, if, if there is no season, you either count it or you don't. Like, there's no provision by which you're like, oh, you can be a free agent in the middle of July 2021. Right. I mean, this has to be either one way or the other, unless I'm missing something. No, I think you're right. I think the canceled season scenario is black and white in that respect but yeah the shortened season is not that if there's a shortened season which hopefully there is um yes well, you know we'd much rather that than a canceled season um obviously um if there's a shortened season then so it, then it's prorated you'd have to determine how many days of service a player is getting for a f like what constitutes a full year of service and that stuff which probably wouldn't be as hard to do because you could just prorate everything but um but that would still you know even then like a full a year would be a year and like we said earlier springer six days short so if they get any service for 
2020, yes. he's he's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and it seems like what's happening now, Jake, and I'm just looking at from a timeline standpoint, what Major League Baseball and the MLBPA are doing, which they should be doing, is it's late March. We have no idea how long this is going to last, and they're planning for all sorts of different contingencies. So whenever decisions are made, whether shortened season, canceled season, whatever the situation might be, hopefully much more on the shortened season part than the canceled season, at least they know what the outlook is going to be moving forward. So just to kind of to kind of put the context out there for our audience, this is why this is being discussed now, because they want to have the framework set up regardless of what actually ends up happening here. Right. Yeah, they, they have to plan for every scenario. Because we like like I said earlier, we really don't know what's going to happen. Like everyone hopes there's a season, but we we can't say for sure there's going to be a season. So, um, yeah, I think you know it's it's smart to plan for every contingency plan, and that's why it's taking so long. At least it feels like it because we're all cooped up waiting. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, they they have a lot of stuff to sift through and figure out and. Um, they're going to have more of it to sift through if there's a season and they have to figure out how to do the schedule and postseason yep. and format everything. Um, that is not a job there's been... that I, I know. <laughs> I, I don't envy them for having to do that job. There have been so many ideas that have been tossed around, Jake, about what, like assu- let, let's, let, assuming for the sake of the, the hypothetical in conversation, a lot of different ideas being tossed out by the Scott Borises, the Joe Maddens of the world, all sorts of ideas about what they should do once the baseball season does actually resume. Yeah. And I don't, I think a lot of it's like, I don't know, like we can't really guess how many games they're going to play because we don't know. And all of these plans and ideas are contingent on a certain amount of games. Um, Why are they being so secretive on, on the amount of games? Like, Rob Manford did an interview on Wednesday night with uh, Scott Van Pelt on ESPN. And my number one takeaway, I don't know what yours was, was, was essentially that they're going to try to squeeze in as many games as possible. Uh, but there's really, like, they're not really discussing any, any numbers. Uh, they seem like, it seems like almost a third rail for them right now to go to number of games. Yeah, I, I just don't. I, I don't think they want to overpromise. And okay, you know, if they if say he had thrown out a ballpark number of games, it, it gets picked up and aggregated and tweeted ad nauseum, and people stick to that amount of games in their head. And then when it's less than that or canceled, uh, you know, they would hold that. They would remember that. So I think it's it's just that you don't want to overpromise anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that once they do get the go ahead to start, if they do that they will try to squeeze in as many games as possible because, you know, at the end of the day, they're going to want to recoup. The, the teams are going to want to recoup some of the, the revenue they've lost and the players are going to want to recoup some of the salary they lost. So both sides, I would assume, would agree on, you know, on that because they get more money the more games MLB plays. Yes. I mean, wh- one, thing, one thing I have been thinking is, and I don't know if it's realistic, but I think one issue baseball's had sometimes is urgency in that there are typically so many games that it's not often a big deal in a specific game whether a team wins or loses. Mm-hmm. And I do generally, Jake, wonder like if this, assuming there's a shortened season, like if this is an opportunity to see what things are going to be like with a shortened season with more urgency on these games. Just to kind of, and now what they're going to have an issue with is 
like if baseball resumes and I'm going to think like we might have the end of basketball hockey season and we'll have a lot of sports going at once, which mm-hmm. would be good, but also challenging for baseball in just trying to compete for eyeballs. But I don't know if I love the idea of trying to squeeze in as many games as possible and having like a double header or two every single week, especially because uh, as uh, my friend Mad Dog Russo pointed out on his show on Sirius XM, you know, the, the double headers they do in baseball are not like the ones they did in 1965. It's not like, hey, you know, for the price of one game, you're getting two. No, it's going to be we're going to get one crowd in here at one o'clock. We're going to clear everybody out and then we're going to get a whole new set of paying customers for the seven o'clock game. So the double headers are, I would say, not that. That fan friendly, in my humble opinion. Tournaments have been canceled. Leagues are suspended. There hasn't been a live game on TV in what feels like a year, even though it's barely been more than a week. There's no better reminder of how important sports are to our lives than to take them away completely. But The Athletic is still home to 400 of the best sports writers out there. And in these very strange, very uncertain times, they are still hard at work doing excellent reporting and telling unique, engaging, informative stories. Like the one about Brazilian soccer legend Ronaldinho being in a Paraguayan jail right now. Or how the situation between Todd Gurley and the Rams was beyond repair. Or how minor league baseball players are getting financial support from their big league counterparts. It's during times like these that The Athletic can help keep you connected to the teams, the athletes, and the sports you love. Sign up now to see for yourself the creativity, reporting, and storytelling that sets The Athletic apart. And if you go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks, you can receive 40% off an annual subscription. Games aren't being played right now, but the stories that draw us all to sports, those don't go, go away. So go to theathletic.com slash Crawford Talks for 40% off an annual subscription. We hope to see you there. Yeah, but I don't know if any game's going to be fan-friendly this year. Like, I don't know if, like, I think we're talking also about... Also good points. We're talking about when the season's going to resume, but that's a... The, the idea of, like, when are fans going to be in the stadium is a whole nother discussion. Like, I, I don't know. If That's a good point. The first month of game. Like, I don't if whenever opening day is, I'm not sure fans are there, um, unfortunately. I, I just don't know. I'm not either. Yeah. So, like, I think there's a whole different discussion there on, like, you know, when when fans are going to be allowed back into the parks um, and if people will want to go, um, you know, because of the, you know, the aftermath of all this. So, um you know, I, I, a double header uh, once a week or so. Um, you know, maybe they wouldn't do it the, the the split way because because they're not getting a gate either way, and that's in the no fan scenario. So they would just play back to back games. I don't know. I think, like I said, I think MLB and the players would want to play as many games as possible because their their revenue and their contracts, respectively, are, are contingent on it. So um, you know, that's a reason that you don't see shorten se- uh, te- leagues shortening seasons because both parties lose out on money. Yes. So, um, so, yeah, I think, you know, I think we have to wait and see on the fan part of it. If, if fans are in there, um, I agree on double headers. They aren't like they used to be. And there are kind of, um, I don't know the right word to describe them, but it is it is weird, like going there for a full day with a break in between and clearing yeah. out the ballpark and coming. Yeah. I am not a huge fan of those either, but um, you know, I think, you know, it, it's premature to assume that those would be uh, with fans at the start of a season. Um, so we have to kind of wait and see what happens, but um, yeah, I mean, I think some doubleheaders in this scenario make sense because they are going to want to catch up on some of the games that they missed and, you know, on top of like getting the clear to, to congregate again and practice again, 
you have to add on a few three or four weeks to that because they're going to need some spring training time to yes to ramp up. So they're going to be way behind the eight ball once they do start, presuming they do. Um, and you know, and, I, th- I, I think tacking on doubleheaders, even if you know it's not ideal, it's it's probably necessary. And, and the sense I've gotten, Jake, in talking to both Joe Smith last week and Steve Sparks earlier this week, make sure you guys check out those episodes here uh, on the Crawford Talks, is we're thinking about, you know, I, I got the sense that three weeks is what they would need for a, for a spring training from a, from a pitching standpoint. Uh, one of the other things I wonder is, okay, how late can they go? So Scott Boris is thrown out. I think, you know, having the World Series on Christmas, which seems a little absurd. How late do you think they can go? Like, can they take the whole month of November? Obviously, the concern being the postseason and what the weather is going to be like, uh, especially in the northern part of the country in November. But is that what you're thinking? Like the month of November, the whole month is, is how late they can go? Including playoffs? Including playoffs. Yeah, I think that's probably as late as he could go because if you go later then you're having say say you went into december then your off season's like one month and that's not healthy (laughs) um (laughs) you know guys are throwing you know pitchers are throwing 100 miles an hour getting a month off and then coming back and doing it again that's gonna lead to injuries so um yeah I, i think you need an off season um you need an offseason for, for transactions and for rest and recovery. So I think expecting it to go in December seems extreme. But, you know, November seems necessary at this point. I mean, even even now, there's, there's even right now. seasons that have gone into November. It's November 1st or November 2nd. But, um, you know, I think, you know, they'll have to, uh, you know, tack on some more. And I think they'll have to be creative in this, the formatting of the postseason, too probably fewer off days and maybe that means neutral sites so that no one's tra- there's no travel days which I think would be kind of fun actually like you know a whole series just everyone's just kind of hanging out in one city for six days you know and getting a, a series done um you know so sounds kind of uh, cool honestly well, but I know like fans would won't you know want to be the home fans and have their games but um, yes you know I don't know like I said it few minutes ago like we don't know what the fan situation is going to be once the season does come back the neutral site thing is interesting because of the interplay jake between the weather and whether fans are going to be allowed at the games and when and if that's going to take place because you know you think about october november in New York, Chicago, Detroit, uh, Milwaukee. I mean, let's not focus on Detroit yeah, because the Tigers are probably Tigers not going to be in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are not good. But like you know, places like Milwaukee, uh, that uh, Minnesota, obviously. Uh, although that's not yeah. So so you got you have those cities. So here's what I wonder about. Like that's easier if there are no fans allowed, right? Because then. Because then it's like, okay, we, we can play these games on the moon for all anybody cares because they're just watching on TV and you can just have it at one place. The tricky thing is if fans are allowed, then you have the specter of like, let's say the Astros and Yankees playing in a playoff series and it's, uh, and it's let's say, neutral site. So you play in Arizona or Tampa in front of, you know, 10,000 people. I think one of the athletic articles pointed this out. Like they... Some of these cities have trouble selling out games in the, in the division series. What is it going to look like if you have, you know, relatively empty stands for huge baseball games? What, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it, if there's no fans, if, if the CDC says no gatherings, then 
there's not going to be fans. If they say it's okay, then there's going to be fans. And those are two completely different conversations for the neutral site argument. Um, If there's no fans, I think the neutral site argument makes a ton of sense. Um, You know, whether that's showcasing the new Rangers ballpark, which is indoors, or using Milwaukee or Minute Maid Park or uh, Chase Field in Arizona. Um, You know, I don't know if you'd want to go all the way up to Seattle or Toronto, but, you know, Marlins Park, like there's a lot of options Mm -hmm. there that you could use for indoor stadiums, Um, you know, in in warmer weather sites, although Milwaukee's not, doesn't really qualify there. But, um, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have like one, team in one series in in Arlington and one series in Houston and one series in Miami. I don't know. It sounds kind of interesting, but if there's fans, that I don't know how that flies because um you lose the atmosphere, you lose yeah. the, the competitive balance part of it. And the revenue from like the home teams aren't going to want to give up that revenue uh from yes. the gates. You know, so yeah, I don't know if there if there are fans allowed at that point, which hopefully there are. Um but I don't know how you do that, but if there aren't, I think that is actually a really intriguing idea for for the situation, and you could eliminate some, I, some of the off days, which would help you make up some ground. I'm all about creativity and and trying new things. There have been a lot of a lot of different radical ideas that have been thrown out there. Whether it's starting with uh, the All Star Game for one day and and just entering the season, uh, whether it's playing these neutral site games. Jake, what's the craziest idea that you've seen thrown out there this week where you're thinking, you know what, I could actually see them doing this or strongly considering this? Is there anyone that stands out to you right now? I don't know if any of them have seen crazy. Um, the All-Star Game 1, starting with an All-Star Game 1, which I believe Jason Stark threw out there. Uh, yep. Jay, we should mention, Jason Stark and Ken Rosenthal wrote like five stories on Wednesday that are detailing like everything that's going on and potential hypotheticals for what MLB could do. So check those out for sure. Um, Starting with an all-star game is an intriguing idea. I don't know how you would pick the teams. um, And I was wondering the same thing. And there probably wouldn't be fans. So that's kind of weird, but maybe there would be, I don't know. I like the whole like fans or no fans thing is a really important part of this. All of these debates that I don't think anyone knows the answer to. So, um, I don't know. I, I I think starting with an all-star game would be good for getting eyeballs back on the sport, but I don't think people are going to be like, I think because we've missed baseball, people are going to be watching either way if you just started with opening day. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I What do you think of the all, starting with the all-star game idea? I have no idea how they'd actually pick the players. Maybe they can just do some uh, some kind of weird vote where it's not considered in the same way a previous All-Star appearance is on the player's resume for Hall of Fame purposes and whatnot. Um, but I, I think it, it, it's, I'm good with the idea. If you did it at Dodger Stadium one day and then we, you know, in a day or two start the actual season, fans or no fans, uh, I, I'd be good with that because uh, it's a good way to showcase the sports and I think there, I think, Jake, I believe in one of these stories, they said that there was some precedent for this, I think in 1981, to do it kind of in that fashion. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember seeing that too. Yeah, precedence always so, helps, for sure. I'm good with it. Yeah, I, I think the really, and something that could obviously relate to the Astros, given where they are in their organizational life cycle, is is a, a potential expanded postseason 
format, um, you know, more teams would be really interesting for a one-year trial, just given the circumstances. See, that, that makes sense to me, and I like trying things. And so the idea of, all right, let's say they're able to play. I'm going to pick a number, Jake. I'm going to say 80 games in the regular season. Well, then the, the downside is obviously, like, go look at the standings of the baseball season, 80 games into any season, and see how it ends up. Like, you're going to have the some Nationals questionable would have missed teams the playoffs. That, Exactly. They, they would have missed the playoffs last season. Uh, I mean, you and baseball history is littered with those kind of examples. And so as a way to maybe combat that part a little bit, could you expand this, the, the postseason to more teams, but then let's say reduce the series and have them be best of three, like maybe maximum best of five? It, th does that seem too artificial to you? What do you think? I think it would be really fun. I mean, it, it would... I think it'd be fun. You know, it's unfortunate for the teams who are who are deepest and like the the Dodgers, the Yankees, and the Astros, who theoretically have the best odds to win a World Series going into a, a normal 2020. Would their odds would dramatically increase with a, an expanded postseason? But um, but I think it would be really fun from like a baseball junkie perspective. Like you're getting everything you want for you're you're getting uh, more more playoff games and shorter series and Stakes are even higher. So I think it would be like for given the circumstances where you kind of have to throw convention out the window in this situation, like I think it would be really it would probably generate more interest in the sport. Although, like you said, if all of the sports are going at the same time um, because of, of the, the shutdowns right now, um, you know, I think interest probably wouldn't be an issue. I would have to look at what the bracket would look like in front of me, but I mean, what if you had, let's say, you know, twelve? If you had, you know, more teams making the postseason, you could eliminate a a, a bunch of them through single elimination games, like they have already with yeah, the wild card game. Just have a few more of those. Yeah, I mean, that would be fun because you know when I watch those games, it's this weird dichotomy between hey, this is like really fun and interesting and baseball is never like this from a one a winner-take-all standpoint just all of a sudden and not through a whole series. Uh, and yet I also feel like it's not really the best way to determine who the best team is, but th there is an urgency to it that I think people nationally have kind of taken a liking to the last five or six years. Yeah, I love the wild card games. I think they're so fun to watch. Um, there's just so much at stake on every single pitch. Um, yeah. You know, I know. I, like like, that I think you have to like if you're thinking about baseball in general. Like the best team doesn't always win the World Series. So if you if you like, yes, start from that point, vantage point, then like you're not. You know, I, I think like you you understand that like just because you, a team won one game does not mean they were the better team. They were just the better team on that day. Um, so yeah, I think more wild card type games. Like say you're doing four of them, that would be really fun. Um, you do two a day. For, I like for that. Two days or. Even four in one day, I mean, that would be pretty pretty awesome. Man, the more we talk about this, the more I'm like, I, I need this to happen. Like <laughs> I, I'm seeing I'm seeing some hope. It's it's toward the end of March and we're and we're just stuck in this muck and this devastation and this uncertainty. And, and this concept really makes me feel better. Yeah, I mean, we can only dream on this stuff right now. That's really all we have in terms of baseball. Um that and, yes. and watching old games and and old um, footage of broadcasts and whatever, reading old stories. But you know, um, you know, in terms of new new stuff, you know, discussing what might happen is is really all we can do. Um, and I do have a, I do have a thought for you. Sure. 
here, here's my thought. You can tell me if I'm crazy. So, and I'm not going to get like, I'm not going to get political into this. I'm just going to kind of lay out. This is something that dawned on me last night. So I was just thinking about our overall situation because obviously we're having this discussion nationally now about how like, okay, there's a balance. We're trying to figure out, you know, public health versus like at some point, like we will need to bolster the economy. And I think we all understand that. And what we're doing now as a country, I think is something that is 100% essential. And my personal philosophy is that we need to take our strongest medicine right now because this thing is not going to get easier if we relax these restrictions too early. Like that, that to me is not the right approach. Um, so the way I've been mentally approaching it is like, I think what baseball is doing, what all these sports are doing, I think is set the contingencies now and work out your deals from a labor standpoint. But I think the, the, I think we're going to have to go through like, I think that CDC guideline of May 10th with, you know, what, what was it, 10 or fewer people, 10 or fewer people congregating at one time. I think we need to like get through all of April, get into early May. And I think, I think May will start to become sort of like decision time for not just politically, but also with these sports. I, I think I think I don't think any decisions are realistically going to be made in the next four weeks. I think we need to get through the next four to five weeks, start to look at some of these numbers and really do good data analysis, and then start to make those decisions about the economy and then in our case about Major League Baseball and the Astros. Do you think that makes sense? Is that logical? Yeah, I do. I think it. I don't. I'm not expecting an opening day date anytime soon. Like to know when Agreed. opening day is. I'm not expecting to be able to book my flights back to West Palm Beach and my hotels in West Palm Beach for a while. Um, you know, and I think guessing is almost. It's just like setting yourself up for disappointment because you're probably going to guess a date that's sooner than it's going to be. So um, yeah, I, I think. We just have to wait and see. It's it's not fun, obviously. It stinks, but like, you know, we, you know, we don't know. ML Rob Manfred doesn't know when it's going to be back. Yes, um, nobody knows. Yeah, so like, you know, I know everyone's asking and everyone wants to know, but the, it's not knowable at this point because we don't know how long this is going. This pandemic is going to last. Um, so, yeah, all all we can do is is wait and see, and you know, continue to. Um, Talk about the sports that we that we have had and and rehash old stuff and um, it has been interesting to see all the sports journalism in the last two weeks. Um, a lot mm -hmm. of like you know like I was a little worried about you know what I was going to read about um, during this time, but there's been a lot of great stuff out there, uh, inclu Definitely. including on the athletic. Just just like journalists watching games they had never seen before or. People live tweeting game classic playoff baseball games and um, yeah I don't know it's been interesting to see everyone you know use their creativity and find stuff to write about when there's no new games going on. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, I, I think that there, there there is a big value in going back and watching the games and going through the history because I, I feel like now, not to sound like get off my lawn guy at you know 34 years of age, but I think sometimes there's such a recency bias, Jake, in sports that I, I think all of us, especially younger people, can like use the time to go and like look at, let's say, the Astros in the 70s and especially the mid-80s when they had really good teams and start to absorb and then learn that history but yeah i think from a from a content standpoint from a sports and news standpoint there's definitely a ton out there uh every single day every single week yeah it's um it's it's interesting uh on the athletic thursday today as we tape this 
we have a, a Houston Pro Sports Hall of Fame story that um, my managing editor, Jenny Dial Creech, and I put together uh, this week. And we basically just like went through all like the, the pro sports, athletes only, no executives, no coaches, and the history of the pro sports in Houston and like came up with, I think it was 17 names that would, that are above the rest. And it was interesting, you know, as an out relative quote unquote outsider, I, I didn't move to Houston until 2016. Obviously I've followed all the Houston sports since the mid nineties, but but someone who wasn't around uh, for all of this yep. um, or close to all of it to like match up reputations and actual performance and go through and, and debate who should be in this theoretical hall of fame and who shouldn't. And um, you know, you come across players who are like really underrated and aren't talked about enough and players who are probably overrated for what they did and, and talked about too much. So it, I don't know. I, I think looking back at history, like I've, I've been doing that a lot this week, and it's been really interesting for someone who's who wasn't around when when Mike Scott pitched his no hitter or when mm-hmm. um, you know Nolan Ryan was pitching for the Astros. So um, I don't know. I think I think it's been an interesting time to do to to do that and, and look at reflect on all the old stuff. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at what you guys did. So you guys basically did a top tier of three athletes, and then did a best of the rest. So I think the controversial thing that you guys did is, you know, in in Houston, having been here for nearly 10 years, there's that like trilogy of of 34s between Hakeem Olajuwon, Earl Campbell and Nolan Ryan. You guys had Cheryl Swoops in the top tier. And I mean, that makes sense. I mean, they won, what, four championships in a row from 97 to 2000. And you guys had Nolan uh, in the best of the rest. But I can see that objectively just because, as you guys point out, nine of 27, uh, nine of 27 seasons with the Astros. It's not like he was in Houston for 15 or 20 years. This is going to be like a controversial take, but like Nolan Ryan as an Astro, like if you didn't know what he did, you would think he was like the best pitcher of all time based on the way people talk about him here. <laughs> yeah, but. You know, he spent only nine. I mean, nine's a lot of seasons, but nine of his 27 seasons here. Uh, he did win. He did lead the league in, in ERA twice, and he did throw a no-hitter during his nine seasons here. But I don't know. Like, if you subbed in, like, John Smith from California for his name, someone who's not from here, like him being from here and his overall career, I think, play a lot into the reputation in Houston. I think but if so. you made him John Smith from California and put in the same numbers, I think it would be a completely different conversation. Yeah, I'm curious how our audience thinks about that. So make sure tweet us, Facebook us, because I, I don't want to speak out of turn because I, you know, I, I I agree logically with your points. I wonder if there's a piece of it somehow spiritually or emotionally that I'm missing as far as what Nolan meant to the Astros from 1980 until 1988 that I can't speak to with like an, well, obviously an expert's eye, but I mean, logically you're right. Like Nolan did not pitch in Houston until he was 33 years of age. Like, I mean, you, you think about that, right? Like that's, that's kind of crazy to think about. And yet he is obviously intertwined in the, in the sports history of the city of Houston. So I'm curious about feedback from our audience. Like, 
based on accomplishments, why Nolan, other than just you know how great he was as a pitcher overall, should be from a Houston perspective up there with Hakeem and up there with with Earl Campbell. I think you make good points. Yeah, I mean, like, and like I should mention in this discussion, we did not take into account people who are from here, people who went to UH and you know local products. Like that wasn't part of the discussion. So pro sports. It, it was just the pro career. And I don't know, that was eye-opening for me was was uh, Nolan and, you know, I, I, I mean, we didn't really think of it as, like, ranking these players. But, uh, you know, he wasn't, his career here was really good. But, like, you would think, again, like, hearing people talk about him, that it was, like, you know, all these World Series and Cy Young Awards. And there, it wasn't that. Yeah. That I I think that's fair, and I wonder if there's a piece of it that I that I might be missing. It's it's such a it's such a unique career to look at, right? Because Nolan pitched for such a long time. Like you think about sometimes you look at something and it almost doesn't seem real, even if you're looking at it, right? You look at 27 seasons, and you're just thinking like, how in the hell does someone play Major League Baseball for 27 years? And this is a guy who spent significant stretches for four different organizations. I mean, that is essentially unparalleled in sports across anywhere, basically. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole the I know entirety I'm, of the I know I'm pointing out obvious things, but yeah, it's, it's, an, it's just an insane career in general when you think about it. Right. And only a quarter of it was spent here. Um, yeah, it's 27 seasons is incredible. I mean, there's a reason his numbers are... As amazing <laughs> as they are, uh, he just racked up all these stats. But um, yeah, I don't know. I would encourage everyone to check this out. I don't know. Yell at us if we did a poor job. We might have. Um, you know, I it was, but it was interesting to go look back at. Um, you know, a lot of these players and like, you know, one name on here, Gordy Howe, went back when there was hockey in Houston. That was fun mm -hmm. to look back at and. Um, you know, there's a few current athletes on here, obviously, but uh, yeah, it was it was a fun exercise, and I think we'll be doing a decent amount of look, looking back at the past uh, in these coming weeks as we try to uh, you know find stuff to to keep sports fans engaged and 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 talking about sports. And then Jake, real quick, let's uh, let's pl uh, plug also the other article you wrote this week. Uh, tell us about Brian Abreu. I, I I have to admit the idea of Brian Abreu being a starting pitcher was something that was more uh, news to me. What did you write about a couple days ago with Brian Abreu, the Astros reliever? Yeah, so Brian Abreu is an Astros pitching prospect, and on Tuesday morning I, wrote, I published a story about him. Um, I'm I'm a lot, I'm really interested in him. He's I think an, a really intriguing prospect. Um, and, you know, I th it's interesting to me, like, there's a, his stuff is really good. Um, yep. And he, you saw him as a reliever for a brief time last year. And I think if, like, if we didn't, hadn't seen him already, it's, it's a weird thing when you talk about prospects, like, there doesn't seem to be as much talk about Brian Abreu. But there's a decent, I don't want to say decent, there's a non-zero chance that he's their best prospect. Like, obviously, hmm. Forrest Whitley is regarded as their best prospect, but one guy has outperformed the other guy. And at some point, you have to look at performance. So for a guy who has really good stuff, has 
pretty good performance, has done it a little bit in the majors. Um, it, it, there's a little bit of a discrepancy between, in my opinion, like the buzz around him and what he actually might be. And Brent Strom, the Astros pitching coach, thinks he could conceivably be a frontline starter. Um, and that surprised me, too. I, I was thinking more reliever, but the Astros are holding out hope that he could be a starter in the future. And I don't know. I just thought I think he's a guy that probably isn't talked about enough. So I, I wrote about him and, and basically what what's going to determine if he's a starter versus reliever. And if he is a starter, how good of a starter. Um, and, you know, it was I thought it was a good story. It was interesting to write and, and delve into. It's interesting that he's likely to start the season in AAA and continue working as a starter. I liked him last season. I thought he should have been on the postseason rosters, which he was. He was on the ALCS um, and I know he, roster. Yeah, excuse me, the ALCS roster. Yes, that's right. Um, and I, I just like the flashes that he showed during the course of the season. And I don't know if he was quite ready to pitch like extremely high leverage championship kind of innings uh, this past season. But that's someone who, I mean, I, I think I had more consistent trust in him by August and September than I had in Josh James. Both guys are talented. And yeah, I think the point that you make is a fair one that Forrest Whitley, it's almost like he's like a magic eight ball, basically. Like I have no idea what I'm going to get from this guy. Where Brian Abreu has had a has that so far a much clearer and better trajectory up to this point. Yeah, I just think it's interesting how prospect rankings uh, skew people's perspective and yes. years of prospect rankings. So, like, fans have seen Forrest Whitley on prospect rankings since t- early 2017, and they've never seen Brian Abreu on a top 100 list. But, you know, Jordan Alvarez was a kind of another example of a guy who wasn't really talked about until maybe 2018, early 2019, um, all that much. Like, there's always players who are overhyped and underhyped, and Jose Arquiti is another example. No one had ever heard of him. He had a different name this time a year ago. So, um, (laughs) you know, so, like, I don't know. It's always interesting to see, like, how prospect rankings skew people's opinions uh, and, and the buzz. But, you know, I wouldn't discount Brian Abreu as a future future uh, Astro starter. And either way, even if he's not a starter, I think he's going to be a core piece of their pitching staff for the next half decade. And um, I agree. And and that's worthy of, of talking about, I think. So, yeah, I, I would encourage everyone to check that story out and check out the Hall of Fame story that Jenny and I posted. Uh, and everything else in The Athletic right now is, is great, too. Um, a lot of great content on there. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back to record another podcast on Monday. Hopefully by then there's some kind of clarity on Major League Baseball and the Players Union, um, you know, ironing out what their plans are going to be in the different scenarios. But uh, until then, I hope everyone has a good rest of your week and weekend, and stay safe out there. (laughs) 